Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning, let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, what's up, Champagne Sharks? Uh, Trevor, uh, we have with us uh, Jess and Chris from uh, Plan A. Since uh, Jess is a first-time guest, I'll let you introduce yourself first. Oh, um, hmm, never done this in a minute. <laughs> yeah, uh, name's Jess. Uh, I guess today I'm here repping uh, Plan A magazine. Although we're mostly we're mostly a podcast these days, um, along with Chris here. Um, what's up? So yeah, I mean, we just we just we just we started as an Asian American like politics and social commentary kind of thing but it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of gone beyond that i think uh so it's hard to say that's what we're all about but you know we we have opinions and we're we we talk a lot so that's i guess that's the two things you need in a podcast so that's who i am yeah you don't really need need much more than that i feel yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't know what else matters here speaking of having opinions and uh talking a lot this episode is about uh hassan minaj and and uh, you something interesting um i mean it seems pretty basic but it really didn't even occur to me to do uh was um when i suggested doing this episode it didn't even occur to me to actually watch his specials which uh um just responded oh yeah i'm gonna need time to watch the specials and i was like oh that's an interesting idea to actually watch the specials in <laughs> in question and i think it was mainly because I just don't really like him too much. I think that's really the, the truth of it. I think I think normally I actually would think to watch the specials in question, but I think because I tried episodes of his um, Patriot Act before and I just wasn't really moved, I was prepared to just read the New Yorker article in question and just go from there. And I'm both very regretful and upset with you for making me watch the specials and both grateful and also grateful yeah. somehow. <laughs> like, because like, I think it made the discussion better. Like, at the end of the day, I'm glad that I watched it i think i needed to watch it to properly discuss this article but um it was painful it took me like had to be about six hours cumulatively to watch about what was it two hours and 20 of material i i think it's bigger than him i think i'm just not a fan of this type of comedy where like i don't know who started this whole thing about comedians being like the philosopher kings or truth tellers it's kind of the public intellectual slash whatever i mean there's two annoying types of elevations of comedian that have happened one on the left and one on the right and the one on the right is kind of like comedians were sent by God to offend everybody and test free speech and they're so important they're because they're subversive and they're antagonistic and this kind of thing as long as the comedian's offensive somehow he's both funny and important and as long as a comedian is transgressing or whatever they're just so amazing and we and we need them and the other side is like oh comedians are so important because because um, they punch up instead of punching down and we need them because they uh, speak truth to power. And like, both camps are really annoying and lead to really unfunny uh, comedians. And I feel like uh, Hassan obviously falls into that liberal uh, elevation, like more in that um, 
what's her name? Who's who, who's the a Hannah Hannah Gadsby camp? You know, where it's like, oh, it's it's funny because it's important, or it's or it doesn't have to be yeah. funny because it's important. You know? Yeah, yeah. The, the thing about Hannah Gadsby is she's quickly fallen out of favor, even with I mean, the, like the New York Times did a very uh, vicious review of her Picasso show at the Brooklyn Museum, and what's very irritating is all these people pretending that you know they weren't uh, lionizing her uh, when it came out, which I believe was like 2019. When oh my God, it's that recent, out. isn't it? <laughs> Doesn't it feel yeah. like it was so long ago to be to, for it to be okay to like Hannah Gadsby? Right, and then yeah. uh, I, I don't know. Think for a second, that name has like like huh, that that name's familiar, but yeah, time yeah, was on the internet like dog years. Mm. Yeah, and all, all these people just pretending that they weren't so into her, and if you didn't like her, they would shame you. I mean, I I watched her thing. I thought it was all right. I didn't think it was like terribly funny, but I was like, okay, you you tell some interesting stories. Uh, but you know, I wasn't like outraged by her. I wasn't um or I wasn't like in love with her uh, but now everyone just like but you know the, the mainstream progressive opinion was she's the new face of comedy and now everyone's just pretending they never did that yeah it's like a type of gaslighting and I feel like all that type of subversion theme stuff uh, has a problem that it can only work a limited amount of times you know so it's like okay once the first time oh I'm over comedy uh, comedy that's bad because it's you know funny when it should punch punch up or, or whatever it's like the novelty of it. Um, you can't do that. You, you know, you know, it's kind of like remember Blair Witch Project. Everybody thought Blair Witch Project was so <laughs> so amazing, but it was mainly amazing because of the gimmick and not knowing whether it's um true or not. But yeah, what, that what, nauseating what, found footage stuff got old real fast. Yeah, exactly. Once the novelty of it wears off, and you know that it's not real found footage, that it's just fake found footage or whatever. Uh, it's just diminishing returns each time. I feel the same with that Bobby Althoff girl that's out there that everyone likes for a hot second. But, you know, once you get used to that whole character and, you know, cringe, awkward interview, uh, at the end of the day, you have to be funny. Like, like funny you can do over, like, people can watch old um, Eddie Murphy stand-up over and over again because there's no gimmick besides being funny. Whereas I think being politically profound, being offensive, being anti-comedy or cringe humor or what Hannah Gadsby is, you know, um, there's the mission amount of returns like I'm saying all this to say I wonder uh, how long Hassan Minaj could have lasted even without the scandal after watching these well that's the thing like when the piece came out I was like wait a minute he hasn't really done anything since his show got cancelled which is already not much of anything as it is like his peak was kind of like 2018 when um, Homecoming King came out there was that like mini a brown guy a wave with like Aziz Ansari and Kumail Nanjiani Um, and after that it was just it was kind of weird how this piece came out and suddenly he was in the news again I thought in fact it kind of did him a favor because it got everyone talking about him again because I hadn't heard anything about him since um remember when um the new uh what was that Queer Eye came out and the, there was that Indian dude on there I, I think he's Pakistani and I remember like him and like Hassan Minaj would do stuff and, and that was like way back in like 2019 and I just hadn't really thought of him since yeah I think this this style had a shelf life even you know without the scandal like you point like you point out but I also think it's part of the reason why this was even able to be a story because they, I think you find it strange that the New Yorker even did a story like this I feel like someone with Daily Show cred and you know is a brown guy and you know doing quote unquote important work I'm so used to people where if you're supposed to be liked or whatever they don't even do a due diligence anymore in, in journalism like, like the fact that they even fact checked his stuff I think is a statement you know like uh, well, I it's mean, kind I mean, of a thing yeah. like, mm-hmm. uh, like it's kind of a statement on the sad state of affairs 
affairs and what we call like the set the, the really shitty state of affairs. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you can correct uh, this one. <laughs> uh, just you know, you don't want to put your feet up on someone else's coffee table, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's like, uh, uh, what was I going to say? Like just a sad commentary in the state of journalism. Like I, I was actually thinking about this just for tech, right? Like my industry. Um, and it's kind of a known phenomenon, right? They, like they'll be like cheerleaders for all this stuff. Like like you know, like Sam Bankman Freed, right? Uh, all of these fraudsters, like Elizabeth Holmes, all these people, they'll be like lionized in the press, like throughout their tenures. And it just takes like this catastrophic failure. And then all of a sudden, that's when everyone dogpiles. And that's when they suddenly decide to become journalists again. Like no one actually does this stuff when when the stuff is actually socially relevant. Um, like we talked about, like I was I was like thinking it through like like Weinstein, like, like why? Like why at that particular moment? And then it occurred to me like this, like Weinstein started getting dragged after he stopped he stopped being the kingmaker in Hollywood like he had to he had to take a cup like his studio and he himself personally had to take a couple of like like professional knocks for him to start becoming vulnerable to that kind of attack so this stuff never really affects someone at the peak of their like career or peak of their powers here so the time that timing isn't really noteworthy to me it's it but like you know it's a statement on my cynicism like wow they bothered to do that at all but it's also a little weird too like why are you fat like okay like rolling it a little bit back like i kind of wonder if like we're just having some problems with like like not really knowing what kind of like lane hassan is in or what kind of lane like comedy belongs in or like we just have this kind of like genre bending thing like, it's yeah. a little weird to be fact checking comedy to begin with right you know i i i i, I agree but that's kind of the problem is that it's not really comedy it's comedy ish yeah that's, that's so kinda, i think like yeah. like we're all like bending genres like i'm saying hassan himself is kind of is is kind of engaging in this too right like oh, yeah like all this like making up these stories that are like very dramatic and play well to an audience you know that would have like if he were a writer nobody would have said could have said anything about it right like that's oh that's his just personal truth that's his you know artistic genius bubbling up he's such a good storyteller right like that's like in a in a slightly different lane this is actually both like both uh above board like he's not breaking any rules he's not hurting anyone by doing this and it's also a statement to his like artistic credibility that's able that he's able to like spin a story that obviously got people like emotionally engaged right uh oh, but the fact oh. that he did that like in in a special or like that he did it in comedy it's kind of it's it kind of speaks to like how we see these things and, and i think the fact that he's he's a brown guy um we just kind of attribute more quote truth to it and this is a broad social commentary like there's a part of this that's not hassan's fault at all he's just responding to the market demand right. well just going like, back to your point about the the timing thing though but like you know fellow brown guy like aziz and sorry got like his career at, at his height really because when did when did that thing with Bape happen? Was it like 2017 rolling into 2018? I think that was like Master yeah. of None and everything. So it was because like Hassan Minaj a couple of years ago, I remember seeing these tweets. They're mostly by these uh, like South Asian women who had worked on a show and uh, they were saying, oh, it was a terrible place to work. I need to get therapy because it was so traumatic, etc. And nobody really cared. And, you know, it's kind of referenced if you read the New Yorker piece towards the end about how his workplace was hostile to women. But it was like it was right there for the taking just 
and it wasn't as if other it wasn't as if oh he's a protected minority because we saw it happen to someone like Aziz Ansari. So it, I just found the timing very odd that uh, I heard yeah, some I speculation. Never, I, I never heard of that either uh, until I well, saw this like, nobody, article. Well, because nobody, yeah, no, no, nobody. Yeah. I mean, I, I oh, think... I remember, I remember seeing it, but like, remember when this was like when Ellen was Ellen DeGeneres was getting dragged for having a really hostile workplace, and then like it was kind of like an add-on to that, like oh by the way Hassan Minaj runs a really toxic shop too, and then you know like various things about various other people in the industry, but it never made a ripple on its own. I think I don't think it was an add-on. I think it was. I think I saw it in a medium piece. Uh, and that oh. was it. Or something. Oh, okay. Very... Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think I probably saw it in like Twitter or something. Yeah, so I think it one basically thing, had no yeah. impact. I think one thing that kind of helped with um with Hassan Minaj was Patriot Act came out during the middle of the Trump era, and see that like I see some sorry. I don't think it really has anything to kind of help him because he was just talking about dating. Um, and, and on top of that, a lot of his dating was about dating white women, and th- like like there was no politics, there was no type of thing. Whereas I think uh, with Hassan Minaj, he was doing po- was doing John Stewartish politics. He was a Daily Show alum during the um, Trump era. Uh, there were too many things about him that made him useful to the moment that he was he was in in a way that I think um, Aziz Ansari uh, wasn't. You know, he, he, he's he's married to an Indian woman. You know, he's doing politics. He like there's nothing really there about, about him to trigger people. Because one thing I find really interesting, I, I didn't really understand why, but a lot of people, even liberal people or centrist people who didn't uh, like Aziz, would bring up that uh, he's always showing himself dating white women. Like uh, you know, like people like Michael Rappaport and some women of color. Wait, Michael Rappaport him. said that? It's supposed to be just weird, the most random people across <laughs> walks of life. Like That's I saw really women weird. of color get annoyed That's about him very for strange. it. Michael Rappaport, uh-huh. I was bashing him and, and took a shot Wait, at you it. Got, you got you got to send me that tweet. I I need to see this. Yeah, at least I can find it again. Make sure I, I'm not uh, misremembering. But yeah, yeah he was... just they were both brown, but they had very different. They had kind of different lanes. So yes. part of this, like Hassan, just kind of needs to take this on the chin, I think, uh, because no one told him to take up this mantle. And like to trace it back, like just talking about this like genre, this like weird genre bending thing going on. Like I remember, like John Stewart, I believe, was the first to kind of make like quote comedy or more more accurately like late night TV into some like just an extension of the news basically right like I remember like in the in the Bush in the W era he'd be bringing on like people conservatives who wanted to argue about like death panels to argue against like single-payer health care all of that stuff right and he just brought that into like the like late night right mm-hmm. so he just kind of took on that crown of like social commentary I remember an interview with him where he actually talked about you know like the court jester was actually the truth teller you know all of that's a famous it's like a famous bit of his um so you know like the reason why you, you bundle this in comedy is like you can you're able to like get... wait, wait 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 who who's the one that that said that john stewart oh yeah so when he he was interviewed i really don't and... like him either i feel like i, I yeah. don't even like him yeah um, like there was a like this whole like the evolution of comedy is kind of an interesting to see like you have the mm-hmm. og like the greats right like richard pryor george Car- carlin etc um but they never like and they have sharp commentary on their times but they all always did their work like in a very like in a very strictly defined medium right yeah. like we remember them for their like stage 
stage on stage specials or or what have you right late night kind of started blurring that boundary a little bit and we had like and they're primarily hosts but this that like transition from just hosting like a celeb uh meet and greet basically late at night uh into like public like an extension of the news yeah into yeah, like yeah. yeah becoming public like yeah public intellectuals and like truth tellers right social truth yeah. tellers and, and, and um, it was just really jerking off to them like so hard it was just so yeah. crazy and, like, and in the 90s yeah. like jay leno conan o'brien they were still like comics right despite running like late their 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 late night shows it was really john stewart i think i wasn't no, really no, I i'm not it, i was really I, young I think, it, I think it was i mean he didn't start the um the daily show there was a host before him craig kilborn but with craig kilborn oh you're right yeah for, for whatever reason nobody was like oh my god craig kilborn he's a genius he's speaking truth to power whatever i mean it was still basically comedy but about the news it was just basically topical comedy it wasn't so john stewart for whatever reason particularly the crossfire appearance was what really put it over where he mm-hmm. just became this mm-hmm. kind of prophet and it was just kind of i don't know it was also it was kind of corny to me because it was like at the end of the day he's just telling liberals what they want to hear he, I, I didn't really yeah. find any type his of- whole thing was bringing a younger audience in like bringing that that young that younger like buddy like like uh gen i guess at that point like the gen x uh yeah, and the gen oldest x, of the say. millennials because i remember we're like watching him periodically through college and stuff um, but he show he he was he he did his quote best work his most popular work in the W era right when there's a very strong like like polarizing figure and like a Republican basically in office yeah. and like a, a strong like basically a Democrat uh, response to that a socially acceptable like very middle of the road liberal response to you know the quote the horror of W. I, uh, I, once, I remember. Sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I, yeah. Done. So like when so when W so like John Stewart's popular popularity started slipping when w stepped out of office that was the that was the dawn of the obama era yep so you see like so you see like late night like he ends up kind of just kind of hanging on for a couple of years he's not he no he no longer has the cachet that he had in the height of the w years um and then just kind of leave the show the lie it kind of betrayed the lie that uh they were there to hit both sides equally because you know i, I always felt like obviously not yeah he was yeah, yeah. he was there to skewer w in a cheap way for you yeah. Young people to tune in and be like, ha ha, and feel like just watching thirty minutes of TV was like some like meaningful political action in some way. Uh, yeah, and it, it was like he basically was bashing uh, Republicans for being too Republican, and then bashing Democrats for not being Democrat enough. So at the end of the day, it was still it was a fake both sidesness. And I think once um, Obama came into office, he was kind of stuck because he couldn't really go hard against Obama. Like he had like yeah. a cult like following at the time, but what, what was he gonna do? And it just became Came kind of purposeless. I, I mean, the same thing kind of happened with um, Republicans in 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 reverse, like during Trump. Like they were kind of mm-hmm. forced to uh, co-sign this 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 wacko because uh, th- th- when Obama was there, like uh, talk radio and Fox News had a really easy target to like you know punch at. And and uh, but I put a link in the chat to it's actually creation. I remembered this is what happened with um, Michael Rappaport. Michael Rappaport bashes Aziz Ansari as little politically correct fuck um <laughs> and of all things on behalf of chris brown is it actor director and podcaster michael rapaport blasted comedian aziz nasari as a quote little politically correct fuck end quote for comparing pop star chris brown to donald trump while hosting last week's edition of saturday night live i think rapaport's one of those weird guys in that i don't think he's ever gone actually reactionary or right wing but he's one of those liberal people that is old school so i don't think he likes trump but he's just pretty racist 
racist things. He says edgy things and, you know, he hates PC snowflake types. You know, it's kind of like, I think in that realm that um, Dave Chappelle is or whatever, where he's not a right wing guy, but he's like an old school kind of guy. So he might as well be right wing by today's standards and stuff. So he says, as he's in sorry, who the F do you think you are? Why are you dragging him? That it means Chris Brown through the mud. Who are you to talk about him? Rappaport said on Wednesday's edition of the I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. I'm sure there's a lot of people who voted for Trump the same way a lot of people listen to the music of Chris Brown, where it's like, hey, man, I'm just here for the tunes. I'm just here for the tunes. And sorry, said in the opening monologue. I don't know about that other stuff. I just like the dancing and the music. I don't condone the extracurriculars. Rappaport responded, obviously, nobody supports beating women. Okay, this guy's obviously suffered. You see all of the trouble he has and all the trouble that surrounds him. He's definitely dealing with some shit and dealing with his own personal demons. But as he's in sorry, you have one of those holier than thou politically correct police. This little F, Mr. Racial, Mr. He's like Mr. Provocative. He's like, oh, the brown people this. He's always talking about the brown people and I get that he tries to be racially provocative. He is racially provocative. I said this once and I'll say it again. If you watch his show Masters of None, as he's in sorry, Mr. Fucking Racially Provocative, Mr. Effing Button Pusher, Politically Correct Judger, has never seen a white girl he hasn't liked. This guy, every single girl on his show <laughs> that he's with, white girls. You ain't never seen a white girl you didn't like, did you, Mr. Brown Guy? Rappaport asked before co-host Gerald Moody chimed in with, where the Indians at? Well, he's not wrong. I also love that he called the show Masters of None. I don't know if that was deliberate, but that, that's some disrespect, just get, getting the title of his show wrong. You know oh, what? I oh, heard he, all he, of that in his voice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just very, but, but it was just weird how people across the political spectrum, it wasn't just him. I saw a lot of people on the left and right obsessed uh, with that and, and the middle. And I think that's another thing that gave uh, this guy some cover was that, um, you know, he had a he had an Indian wife and, you know, Camille Nanjiani, I think, kind of became a target for a big sick. It was kind of it retroactively was such canceled. such a bad movie, too. Yeah, because, you know, of how bad it treated brown women and Aziz Ansari's thing treated brown women pretty badly. And I think... Um, well, just, it mostly ignored them. It, it, I don't think yeah. it really treated them badly. It just pretended well, well, they didn't exist. Maybe it's less about... I don't know if it's he about, like, day. literally... He did speed date with Indian women and it was pretty bad. They were yeah, I mean, shallow. they're dating racial politics. Like, it's not, Maybe it's not literally about that, but, like, metaphorically speaking, like, Hassan presented himself as, like, the avatar of brownness. So, yes, you know... Yes. He, so himself, like, Im kind of embodying it in a way that's kind of opposite to how, like, guys like Aziz or Kumail, like, would have done. Like, they're, they're obviously saying, like, oh, look, we need to be taken as individuals. We're just trying to be ourselves here. Um, you know, then, you know, they're being upfront about, like, their preferences in, you know, their relationships and how they want, like, the cult, how they want to live, you know, etc. Like, uh, like, Aziz going off to Italy for a, you know, live, laugh, love vacation. Um, stuff like that. Um, but like, oh, you mean, you mean eat, eat, pray, love, eat, pray, love. Yeah. 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 Um, just, Definitely. you know, I, I was so heartbroken. I had to go to Italy and eat pasta for three months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, Karen. Um, <laughs> but like Hassan, like on the other hand is like, like, look at me, look at me. I am brown. I am brown as fuck. You've never seen anyone brown or you are talking to a brown guy. I represent brown people in America. Uh, well, you know, it, it, like, so in that sense, like, I don't know of his wife I, I had no idea who his wife was or his family was I mean until I saw the special he like put that front and center but it's kind of like it's kind of reminiscent of like Obama you know that that thing about Obama saying uh, realizing that if he wanted to like become a politician or some kind of leader in America he would need to have a black wife to be 
treated seriously as like a black uh, leader. Oh yeah, in the I totally country. think think he was right about. Yeah, right about so it's that. it. So I think this this like this piece is kind of poking holes at that, right? Like uh, like the 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 New Yorker piece. That's the one that broke the whole story that he was making shit up, right? Yeah, that's that's it. the one that started it. Yeah, so in that sense, like like it, that's what it's kind of unpacking, right? This kind of he's like Jay Caspian Kang. Uh, shout out, lo- loved his piece. Uh, but he talks about you know I think it's he talks about you know like uh, like can we can we talk about selling out here? The concept is the concept of selling out applicable here? Um, uh, maybe oh, wait, we need wait, to kind of revisit. Uh, oh wait, Jay Caspian Kang did a whole piece about this specifically, or did you use a piece that? No, you I, I think you're talking about the tweet. I don't know if. Oh no, JC no, he wrote can... a whole piece. Let me. Oh, I, I thought I got it from you guys. Um, I mean, let me look this up real quick. But anyway, I'll keep talking while I do. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, well, I can't well, type in. Uh, turns out I can't type in and talk at the same time. Okay. Um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, well, in the meantime, I, mm-hmm. I, I think if you compare him with the with the like other uh, brown dudes, because like Camille Nanjiani is an immigrant, I believe, because he ha- he has an accent when he yeah, talks. Yeah. So he is symbolic of the the first generation immigrant really trying hard to be be like American and, and assimilate. And and you watch the big sig, and that that's so apparent. Yeah. And then uh, Aziz Ansari is more like the, the kind of like nebbish dweeby guy who um also just and I, I think he's also from the south he's from south carolina uh, whereas i uh, i think um some minaj was more just like your you kind of like your more average indian bro i think he grew up in cal yeah sacramento so he wasn't i don't know what the demographics of sacramento are but at least california is not south carolina is not he's not an immigrant so he was more just kind of like your if you go to your like your local sasa at at college he he was like probably like the president of sasa you know south asian students association so that was the kind of uh vibe he was giving and and his if, if especially if you watch homecoming king it's all about i was once on the road to uh you know like worshiping this white girl and i really wanted to be white but i was saved and and now i have this indian wife and i love being indian or something so that was uh what he brought he that was like his side of of brownness yeah even though what's actually saw the special uh i think it kind of had the opposite effect because i was surprised i read the article first and i just figured this was just one joke or something or like you know five or ten minutes that thing was like two thirds of the like that mm-hmm. was like basically the oh, whole you, special oh, the you mean the, the prom thing yeah the, yeah yeah this, this, this white girl that reject like it seemed well, very it's the unhealthy. whole title of, of his thing homecoming king is, is a reference to prom so yeah it was the I don't even remember any I mean I, it was like several years ago when I first watched it I don't even remember anything except that oh yeah I just watched yeah. it last night it I was, was like uncomfortable oh, yeah I was like wow this is not healthy I mean it, I mean, it wouldn't be healthy if it was even true like I was like you did this much about a girl who turned you out on a down on a date <laughs> on a date like so long ago and yeah, I was well, like uh, it, it was kind of like those those um articles those decolonizing my desire kind of articles where it's kind of hard to buy I was like okay I don't think you're fully over like yeah because you wrote like a 3,000 word essay on it and yeah, yeah. yeah it's like it's like one of those like wow um you uh, my lady doth protest too, too much. much you are yeah. clearly not you're not over this like if I were I don't know like so you know these com- these comedians they do bits about their wives and like who who the hell knows what goes on in their marriages but yeah. like personally like if i'm sitting there watching my husband do do that kind of a bit and like with me like uncomfortably close to the center of this i don't i don't 
think I would, I don't think I'd divorce him over it, but I would look up some lawyers, you know? Yeah, like, I feel weird. I would definitely feel weird. Like, you know, it, if you do, you're doing a whole bit about how much you're over someone from when you were 18. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. I mean, not, bit, no, sorry, not, not bit, doing a whole special. Like, that's your your whole special is this person. Like, uh, I, I know there's that cliche and line of living rent free in the head, but this is like, she, she's a real squatter in his head. Like, she's, she's got yeah, It's, it's like, the, you know, like, this used to be a mainstay of like John Stewart's whole bit back in the aughts, you know, um, like calling out, like calling out like homophobic, like senators and, and poly, like big social figures who were like strongly anti-gay. And then it turns out they're soliciting male hookers or something. Yeah. That, that's like, it happens over and over. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. really, it was just really so bizarre. It's, it's <laughs> just really like of this weird psychological, it's too intimate. And this is the kind of a thing that I've been noticing in comedy. And like this, this goes back to like what I've like was trying to talk like, like genre bending. Like, like I get that like great comedy does have to come from like a like quote inner truth right so you can't be a good comedian without like like living through this kind of thing you're trying to talk about like being funny about a thing is actually showing like mastery over it right being able like but it, a lot of these comedian like modern comedians just it just seems like therapy like we're just kind of seeing a more polished therapy session like it's it's way too much oversharing yeah do you know what it, I mean yeah but I feel like it becomes a crutch that he uses to not have to be wall to wall haha funny you know that that's yeah that's part of, i think that's it covers up it covers up lack of talent for sure right if he's just oh, overshare oh, oh, oh. some shit or just willing to get kind of like nasty or or like gritty on or something least, or at least it's a different talent like a talent that ventures more into um one man show than it does actually comedy like i think there is some talent that he has there but it's not purely um comedy you know you know yeah and, and i think it's storytelling yeah he's yes. a good storyteller yeah he but then he's in the wrong he's actually in the wrong line of work then if he's if that's like his 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 lane like he was trying to like genre bend a little here too um you, so i don't know it's, it was kind of an interesting this is kind of an interesting thing for me because it just really made me kind of think about like how we consume media these days and like are the the really awkward way that we all consume media these days um like i think it has changed and i don't think there's a lot of like public consciousness at how differently we can we like relate to this kind of stuff and the people who produce it than we used to like 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 if you watch an old George Carlin or really any any like comedian say in the 90s or something right like uh like no no one's expecting like facts necessarily you expect truth but not facts yeah right? and like a, a lot of stories are kind of outlandish it's obviously haha but it's funny because it's relatable which means that there's some kind of like common truth that they're teasing out through this kind of outlandish performance here I, so it's I, on the one hand okay, huh? good oh yeah no like for this one like just just the fact that like we're like fact checking and debunking a comedy special alone i feel like deserves a moment i think we need to like deal with this moment right like what does it but, actually mean when, we're, yeah. when we need like the thing he says to be factually true for it I, to to what be I, what quote real or i think, what? I, think the, I think the problem though when the new york article new york article kind of gets to this and and you see when you actually watch the thing is like okay I, i'll give a counter example this is an old reference so i'm not sure if you guys would even have seen it but in uh eddie murphy there was the um the special delirious and he talks about the family uh cookout and his uncle and his and his uncle's wife uh bunny and you know eddie murphy's father felt like his uncle his uncle bunny's wife was a was a bigfoot and he talks about he talks <laughs> I about I her saw this yeah yeah saying yeah, yeah. saying saying saying, saying goo goo and falling down the stairs every year and everything <laughs> and all those things 
are done to deliver a punchline. So they're all done in the service of comedy, those stories. So I don't think anybody, if somebody was actually, um, if somebody was actually fact checking those to see Eddie Murphy, did you really have a aunt-in-law named Bunny that, that resembled a Bigfoot? You know, they should really say Goonie Goo Goo. <laughs> that looked really weird. But when you actually watch the, the Hassan Minaj things, the parts that he was delivering um, that were being fact checked were specifically breaks from the humor. Like there were specifically parts where it got really mockish and modeling where mm. it got really quiet. They had this extremely uncomfortable close-up that I thought was kind of contrived and manipulative mm-hmm. where they go really close into his face and go into his big eyes. And, you know, uh, it's clearly meant to be kind of a contrast or break to being funny in such a way that the whole effect, the whole power of them comes from the fact that it's supposed to be real. Like like, like the Eddie Murphy Goonie Goo Goo stuff was uh, supposed to be funny. Like, like um, not real. Whereas this stuff, like uh, him being profiled by this cop and almost like arrested and pushed against the car and all this stuff or showing up and this guy uh, putting the corsage in the thing. There's no ha-ha punchline there. It's just, oh, wow. Like the whole impact of them clearly comes from you believing they were real. So that I think becomes kind of the problem. Like uh, you can't just hide behind comedy when the whole reason it's supposed to be good was because uh, some things aren't funny. I'm 100% with you on that because you know that's that's like that's why I feel like like modern comedy I just I can't really like this is a different form than what we than what I was I like grew up with I'm not necessarily that old but like this is different than the old like HBO good, specials here's a good example it would be like if um, Papa Picasso didn't do any of the stuff that Hannah Gatsby was complaining about and he found that out <laughs> you know that, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean Papa Picasso's faults weren't being presented you know to be comedic uh, even though it's supposed to be a comedy special the fact that they were supposed to be true and the real life impact of that was supposed to be what made um, Pablo Picasso's faults you know important to the show and uh, uh, Christian you were saying something that got cut off I didn't hear what you were going to yeah, say yeah go for it sorry yeah if you watch uh, The King's Jester which is where a lot of the more political stuff uh, that he made up came out there are parts where he's clearly making it up there's I mean there's like I find him funny when he is at his kind of corniest when he's making the Indian doctor jokes when he's you know he talks about um, towards the end like things he has to get off his chest and he's like uh, Priyanka Chopra's wedding was fake and I, I find that kind of funny because it is you know st- stupid celebrity news but we all kind of know it remember yeah, that it, um, it, yeah yeah and, and because it's, it's meant to clearly be funny and get a laugh like no would fact check that yeah and i think it's actually see this is the thing that i mean i'll get back to what i was saying like um samanaj presents himself as this it's like he's he's telling truth to power uh and all that but he's like he's going after what like saudi arabia or vladimir putin and it's like from his social circle which is kind of like these metropolitan progressive types that is not risky at all it is like who's going to really call him out on that in fact I think if he went uh, he did a whole bit on how Priyanka Chopra's wedding was fake I think you get more flack for that because we've seen this happen remember that New York magazine piece oh, where oh, yeah. there was that writer who's a black woman uh, you know just surmised there's something a little fishy about this wedding and she got totally attacked um, uh, mainly by uh, South Asian women saying you know how dare you uh, ruin our Meghan Markle moment which is sad as enough as it is because at least Prince Harry is a prince 
<laughs> you, didn't, you didn't get the hottest Jonas brother. You know, that's that's pretty sad. But I think if he did, that would be more risky than him saying, oh yeah, I I said killing Jamal Khashoggi is wrong. Like, okay. like well, who's I, gonna... I, 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 I think that would be more risky. And I'm actually stealing a point from you that you said off air. Uh, if he defended... Uh, Aziz Ansari, yeah. Aziz Ansari. Yeah, I was like, what, like, really like Aziz did nothing wrong. He just, he was just yeah. an awkward date and he, he shouldn't have done the claw. I think we all re- realize that, but that's not tantamount to <laughs> rape or whatever. But uh, yeah, what that, I was going to say... Be way scary to Saudi Arabia <laughs> for, his, for his career. <laughs> but what I was going to say earlier is... Um, yeah, he has this whole bit where he says he's going to the doctor and he sees like his like I- idiot like Indian frat bro kind of friend is now his his like urologist or something and obviously he that didn't happen you know yeah. and we all know that didn't happen but it doesn't matter and it's funny and we don't care if he made that up but then at the end when he's like oh I was being arrested and I had my head on the on the car and and you know Eric the the, the muscle white guy who infiltrated our mosque was like there and and comedy saved my life like literally because they were gonna shoot me like I I was like George that was Floyd the fir- or whatever. that was the first time I landed a joke yeah, like, like, yeah and up. it's like again that's that's really really corny and it would not work unless he it was true because I mean that that's like sub lifetime movie plotting you know like the yeah. the, the you know stand up comedian how he his origin story he it prevented him from getting sh- you know killed by the police nobody would really believed that unless unless you claimed it was true and, and that's why people um were like Wait a minute. This isn't just the f- nobody's calling you out because you didn't really meet like Arjun Patel at at the doc. He wasn't really your doctor. We're not calling you out on that. We're calling you out because your whole thing becomes incredibly lame if you made it all up. It, it, like those because bits. all that stuff, um, all the lies are there in such a calculated way to make him look awesome. Like you know, he spots the narc instantly when no one else can. He diffuses this. You, you know, he he plays a he plays a game with the narc and he's like he's like the Bugs Bunny to all the Elmer Fudds in his in his story <laughs> it's just so yeah. self, self-serving self and, and the whole thing like light him up son you know and you know it, it's kind of like somebody just making these fake uh, stories on Twitter or something you know about something that happened that everyone's like yeah okay. those are unwatchable you know he takes on this tone they kind of all do when they do this Um, they kind of takes on like like preacher vibes yeah like you guys yeah. have all seen like, like those like church like pastors at like mega churches right uh, just like, don't mean like, to interrupt you but don't you think his set on his second special had this weird like shrine like quality like I don't know where did. that was in Brooklyn but it was yeah it was like it, there was like some kind of like Stonehenge like thing in the background and he was wearing like very light color yeah there was something very uh because now he's part because now he's like really part of the church you know the, yeah the, the, I, the, I think this, the this shit the is supposed to be like yeah like lib lib therapy slash church yeah because um, he was really feeling himself uh, in that special mm-hmm. in the way uh, I, I mean like the first one um, it was kind of boring to me but he was not as insufferable as like the second one you could tell he was feeling himself he was enjoying the smell of his own farts the mm-hmm. Patriot Act show was really going to his head he was really buying his, his whole hype and what, what was interesting is one of the truest parts of it I think was uh, when you talked about his obsession with social media clout and I was like I feel like he put it in here in a way to kind of uh, say he got over it like you know you know what that's what I was thinking the same thing while watching that like wow this is a very he he is intelligent this is kind of hacking the algorithm if you want a stat pad um, get yourself a boost up the clout ladder this is exactly what you this is exactly what you have to say we all know saying that 
he's addicted to it or are you saying like the the kind of political grandstanding that the, led the to- grandstanding and like the stories he 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 turns out he just completely made up those are perfectly engineered to game oh, the yeah. social algorithm oh, 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 like, totally. he, he didn't pull so, this out of thin air it's just this is a guy who knows exactly how to play the how to how to pluck the strings but i feel i feel the part that he did where he's talking about social media cloud i think he was saying that to contrast with his later oh after what happened with my daughter i learned this more important things than like i think you only made himself yeah you gotta look, cover your tracks you can't be like yeah, yeah i realized this and then that's how i got you motherfuckers in your in those yeah, seats you know yeah yeah, yeah. i think I, I think he, i think he was bringing it up just to make his epiphany look more profound but i was more interested in like i think you're still there and that would be more interesting if you just lean into that this is the most actually interesting confession you've made and i'm not buying uh to go back to the decolonizing my desire no, no, wait, type, wait, wait, go back just to interrupt it, it's kind of like when you have plastic surgery so you admit to the little one to hide the big one so i think that's what yeah. he was doing saying oh I, I i was a little addicted then but i'm free now meanwhile he's plotting his next uh like extravaganza no, no, that's gonna not be plotting his next one he's in the middle of his, of his crime <laughs> he, he's admitting a smaller crime in the middle of pulling off the bigger one you know yeah. Like, yeah 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 because oh, yeah. the story he's actually the, uh... telling is i think it's what jesse was getting at the story he's actually telling is the bigger cloud chase you know in, in the yeah because in the, the middle in the same special he's talking about how he got over it and it turns out he made it all up he <laughs> he was making all, all like so much of this up yeah and he, the and actual he, incident that made him get over it was this of a cloud a cloud chase you know the, yeah. the story of the of the daughter being hit with the anthrax it's 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 crazy um like you know like um uh, it's it's like the special was kind of like the bezel you know when a, when a con man has completed the trick but the audience hasn't realized it yet that's what that special was yeah and you can definitely see the difference in his ego from the first one to the second one like he had a little bit of a hint of an ego in the first one but uh it was still mixed with a lot of self-deprecation he was like early drake you know when mm-hmm. when, when drake was still kind of uh not comfortable in the spotlight yet and a lot of his um you know insecurities were in the songs he's always talking about girls that did him wrong and whatever and now he he's still that guy but he's that guy done good and now i'm, I'm mm-hmm. really gonna talk my shit and that drake has a kind of arrogance to him that uh still kind of disguises i think of you know fragility and hypersensitivity but he's really in the midst of his overcompensation now like like there was a swagger to the second special that um felt overblown but fragile at the same time it's like this guy's one you know in every story he was so awesome like he um was always it it, kind of reminds me this is like a very specific type of reference like this kind of comic strip i don't think is really popular anymore but it was a stage where there were these web comics and these web comics would always have a thinly veiled avatar of um of the cre- the creator of the comic um and and i think a tv version of this is a show californication where when you see the guy who did californication he looks like a fat schlubbier david dukovny mm. and it was just like it felt like somebody compiled all the shower moments uh i call uh-huh. shower i call shower moments those moments where you're in the shower and you think of the perfect thing that you wish you said um, um, I hate that. Yeah. Y- y- yeah. Happens all the it, time. Yeah. 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 It, it, you know, whether it's like uh, someone, somebody cute was flirting with you and you think of the perfect flirtation, somebody was disrespectful to you, you think of the perfect comeback and someone just did an autobiograph- autobiographical show, but of nothing but shower moments, not the actual <laughs> moment that, you know, led to the shower moment. Like, this is my life if all the same stuff happened, but everything turned out awesomely. And I'm also going to exaggerate. 
relate to what happened. And uh, there, was, there was a type of webcomic like that that was really annoying. Like the guy would always get the last word in. He'd always be smirking and he'd always get the punchline. And he'd always have the perfect zinger. He'd be at Starbucks and he'd say something to make the barista like, you know, look, look ridiculous. And he's just out there casually pointing out all the absurdities and just weirdly above it all at the same time, you know, like uh, just snarkily commenting on everything while also just being awesome and getting high fived. And this felt like the mm-hmm. comedic, the, the Patriot, the second one, felt like the comedic version of that where everything was like, and here's the next awesome thing I did, you know, the Patriot Act, you know, and, you know, uh, here's the next thing that happened where um, I saw Jared Krishna sit in this seat, you know, and I had to light him up right then and there. And I'm like, okay, this is like your, your LinkedIn profile. This is your, uh, you know, your comedic resume you, you're giving me. Like, okay, I get it. You you clearly think you're awesome and you're just, you're just well, telling us all your favorite moments of uh, everything awesome I, I did on my show. And I, I, I feel like he was almost like trying to make his case for becoming the host of The Daily Show. A, a selection process which is weirdly strange. I feel like it's become more important than selecting a president, like how long that thing has taken. Like just just well, hire same, somebody already. The same kind of guy who who is just like unironically so proud of being on, on like the time list would be the same guy who yes. who would think being on the uh, host of The Daily Show is is like his crowning achievement. I mean, the, the kind of karmic justice thing is like that second special, I don't think it was that popular. I hadn't even heard of it until this article. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm not like, if I don't hear of it, it doesn't exist. That's It's not that attitude. But, you know, Homecoming King was fairly big. You know, it was, couldn't, you know, not read about it uh, if I was on the internet. But I didn't, I didn't even realize he had a second special out. And I was just on Rotten Tomatoes. didn't even get that many reviews. I mean, it was like, you know, well-reviewed as these things inevitably will be. But it was just, I think, I think, because it was came out in 2022. I think Patriot Act was canceled in 2020, right? I think it was uh, during... I think COVID. so, yeah. Yeah. So he'd been kind of not doing much for a little bit. He really I mean, doesn't who knows have a lot of... Like, I mean, he's he's not a first-rate comic, right? He lucked into that. He lucked into the... Uh, to his Patriot Act gig, uh, kind of on the fumes of... Like, like, like what we're talking about, like Jon Stewart having... Like, just losing steam in the Obama era. And then, you know, that was generally a slump in, you know, like liberal like liberal media, right? Liberal news media at that time. Like who who the hell are you gonna skewer? Y- you can't. Um, um in the old in the old eighties cartoon uh Voltron, uh uh the origin of Voltron or uh the, the original Japanese version is called uh, Golion or whatever, but it's this it's this uh anime where uh it's one of those combiner robots and the origin of the robot is, you know, he the robot has this kind of hubris or whatever and goes up against some kind of evil witch and the witch um, strikes him with a curse that breaks him into five parts that all fall to earth and I feel like that's like Jon Stewart like Jon Stewart was you know <laughs> on top of the world and had this hubris and uh, he was struck and fell down into like uh, six lesser parts that maybe combined <laughs> oh, into God, John Oliver we haven't talked about John Oliver I mean he is the worst of this type he is, of he is wor- he's, he's, so the black, he's, the, he's the black lion of the combiner robot for sure yeah, yeah. I mean I, I I'm like not there saying there was this way this trend to get like these like non-white guys into these positions so you know I'm not I'm and not women. calling Hassan it's, it's and women yeah but this is exactly like a trend that you know like we've talked like the three of us have talked about it too like these these old um, franchises or institutions that kind of stumble into rocky into rocky waters they don't know what to do and then it's the Hail Mary non-white savior right that gets dragged oh, yeah. into, and, into and, 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 and Amber Ruffin who I think was one, one of the worst one she's really unfunny but Wait, she's, I've never even heard of this one. Oh, oh, she, she, she. I'm gonna look her up right now. She, she's terrible. Lily Singh, remember her? Oh yeah, yeah. Lily Singh. Amber Ruffin 
was a black was black and a woman doing mm-hmm. this. So she was kind of like she had all the infinity stones of identity. Uh, she's the only like thing queer, she was she wasn't black. queer unfortunately. She wasn't queer unfortunately. I, I don't even recognize her. Oh wait wait no I, no yeah I do. Didn't she have something with uh who's the, who's the black guy who like wrote for um I think the Daily Show Larry Wilmore? Did she have something with Larry Wilmore? I feel like I I saw her do at least some kind of like comedy duet kind of thing with him, and it was it was very not funny. Uh, uh I'm not I'm not sure, but if she was involved in it, I I already know it wasn't funny. I didn't have to see it. <laughs> I've never seen her do anything uh funny, but 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 yeah, a, a whole bunch of lesser oh, lesser should, lights fell to earth. We should get just to watch like um that that what was it the the Harry Tubman was it I love you Harry Tubman what was that one the one by uh, Phoebe Robinson oh my god get her to watch Yo, um okay look I hadn't even seen a single episode of Patriot it's a testament to my love and respect for champagne sharks <laughs> and, and, that made me dip into the waters here um be careful what you tell me to watch next that was <laughs> tough that was hard oh, oh, oh no, no no I didn't tell you to watch that it was actually your idea I know, I know. To, 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 to watch because I this. felt so bad because I de- I wanted to I I was I had thoughts about this right like but I think that the topic the topic goes past Hassan himself right like we're not skewering him necessarily so it's definitely interesting yeah. but then it occurred to me that like I I had I knew like nothing about this guy other than like he just seemed super annoying and then the more I actually thought and like kind of like saw his work the like weirder it got actually oh, yeah. um yeah um, um, like like it's kind of weird it's a weird space for to be like a comic I think like I think comedy is just one of the highest forms of art period it, you just have to be such a master at like literally everything when the, uh, one problem you. with his one problem with his comedy to me is his comedy has such a desperation to be liked mm-hmm. it's like a desperation to the punchlines and whatever that when he's on Patriot Act he's actually kind of better because so much of Patriot Act is about um, educating and you know doing deep dives on certain topics and, mm-hmm. and, and that was the most watchable I found him because he wasn't even but what was funny with the Patriot Act thing was um, whenever you'd watch Patriot Act um, like those were on journalism and the state of journalism or whatever and I would get really into it and he would just keep peppering the commentary with obligatory jokes that were ruining it I was like just mm-hmm. stop doing the jokes I would actually enjoy this better for just a TED talk or if it was just yeah. if it was just a uh, news special like like anytime I would kind of get into his kind of um, news profile shtick uh, he would just keep sucking me out of it with obligatory like every 40 seconds like clockwork I've got a sort of punchline here and the punchlines felt desperate and there was a lot of that in particularly the second special where it was very animated at times they would switch to somber and both extremes gave me whiplash and they both had a sense of desperation and flop sweat um, yeah. <laughs> flop to them that I couldn't uh, <laughs> it, 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 it's like flop sweat but if the flop sweat was getting laughs like you know you know it's, yeah. uh, it was, the awkward it was, silence you had to work the silence basically yeah, yeah it's it's weird stuff like i think it's there's it was patriot Act was supposed to be like a successor show to like the late like whatever john stewart had done at uh at, at what was the show what was it what, what was daily Stewart's show thing? daily show yeah it was supposed to be like a successor to that but it was not it turned out into neither and, and like just neither really just I mean, it, it was closer to the samantha b show i think right mm-hmm. he's like standing he's got the screen he's kind of like shouting at you uh kind of you know preachy, what to believe yeah some minor facts about like some topic of the day but like very shallow like pretty shallow treatments um but supposed to be like engaging and personable and all of that and like and obviously funny that's why they hire like comedians to do this but it ends up just being preachy like it, it just ends up being like pandery to a very specific kind 
of audience than actually informative or actually funny. And it's just interesting to see, like, to see how, like, race and gender play into that because um, you kind of collapse the personal remove that you have to have to be a good, like, commentator or, like, to even be, like, truly funny about a thing. Uh, like, it, it's like you have to kind of embody all of that, all of that, all of that, like, you kind of have to embody all the problems of it to have mm-hmm. any kind of standing. You're not there because, you know, you're the sharpest commentator or the funniest. You're kind of mostly there because you're the non-white guy that can look into a camera and kind of hold an audience's attention for a while. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's a very weird space to So I actually, I, I'm actually like very sympathetic to, to his his particular plight here um, because I feel like it's a, it was a very, very strange box to have been in for so long. Yeah, where I, I don't, I, where I don't feel any sympathy for him at all is then like kind of grabbing that and being like, you know what? I'm going to make something of this. I'm going to, I'm going to put my, I'm going to make that my soapbox and I'm stand up there and preach down to everybody that's going to listen to me and everyone's going to praise me for it. Yeah. I think it was just a weird time in general on top of that, because not only were these people all kind of lesser lights, but there was just way too many of them. Like uh, I keep having more pop in my head that I forgot about, but it was like Michelle Wolf, Samantha B. Um, um, there was Amber Ruffin, there's John Oliver. Wasn't there the, some white dude? Um, there's another white dude that, that, that did that. It's like short grayish hair. I mean, he's not old. Like Jason something? Jason McDonald? Am I just making that name up? Hold on, let me I don't know. No, no, the, no, the guy, who, I think he's married to Samantha B. Weren't they on the Daily Show together? Whatever. That, I mean, that's how forgettable he is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they were oh, just oh, a very oh, strange. Jason, Jason Jones. Yeah, you're right. The oh, yeah, yeah, Jason something, yeah. Oh, anyway, I put the New Yorker, uh, the Jay Caspian Kang New Yorker article in the chat. Um, just, you don't have to read the whole thing, but just the title itself kind of kind of encapsulates the whole thing. Like, it's uh, Abram X. Kendi Hassan Minaj and the question of selling out. Um, oh, I never even saw this. Oh, well, it's fairly recent, I guess, right? Because Yeah, it's October 7th. Um, so this is a lot after... Um, after the original uh, story yeah, yeah, about yeah. Hassan. Yeah. Because that was like but, a I mean, month he ago. talks, yeah. just goes through like, like you know, like, uh, not to, like, read the article. It's it's, it's good. It's short. But he's talking about, like, are they sellouts? Like, he doesn't think they're particularly sellouts or anything, so it's not very useful. But, you know, some of the, some of the questions from that, you know, the, the implications of accusing someone of, quote, selling out are kind of, are kind of salient here. I think it's a weird term because uh, did anybody call him a, a sellout over this? I feel like it's like, I feel like Aziz and Sari got called a sellout because of all the, the white woman stuff. But I feel like that wasn't really an accusation lobbed against. Unless it's saying he sold out not racially, but sold out as a liberal or. I think so. He doesn't specify, but, you know, and, but I, I, but, you know, the question that, because uh, uh, he's not calling them sellouts. It's just like, like thinking through, like, is there something in the concept of, quote, selling out that can be useful in kind of analyzing these two figures that have recently uh, fallen from, fallen from from their heights you know the concept i think is better to ask about personally and i, I haven't read caspian kang i'm doing something that i hate what other people do which is i'm commenting on something and how it could be better but i actually haven't read it myself so it's, uh, it's your show man <laughs> yeah yeah but i, I don't want to be a hypocrite so i'm saying with a grain sure. of salt i know i'm doing this the thing that i always complain about other people doing uh, i'm uh-huh. self-aware that i'm doing this but uh i feel like race beta would be a better word to ask when it comes to those two because i think what they have done with this is give a whole bunch of people who call any minority who complains about racism a race baiter ammunition i've seen so many hassan minaj race baiter uh like, like i feel like if you did a uh one of those google trend searches for the term race baiter it would a spike twice once for hassan minaj and then once for ibram 
trendy. Like, you know, oh, mm. you guys mm-hmm. are using race to um, get clicks and clout. And this proves America's not as racist as you guys say. Just use racism in a self-serving, self-serving way. And I feel like that's the big complaint I've seen lobbed at uh, both these people, but especially Hassan Minaj. Like, oh, you're making it harder for people to be taken seriously when they complain about racism now. Or, you know, you've made, you've given ammunition to people who call everybody a race baiter or say that people exaggerate about um, racism. I agree. Uh, um, I, I think so the I, more, the, oh, sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, I no, I totally agree with that point. And it's valid, right? Like someone gets up there and tells a, tells a story like, like, what are we supposed to do? Like go to Wikipedia, start, you know, fight, hire a personal investigator. Like, you know, yeah. um, you have to kind of take these things a little bit more cynically because of because of this stuff. If we let comedy know, be comedy again, all this would be solved. Yeah. Make it funny, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it funny again. Make it, yeah. uh, that's that's just drop the drop the freaking truth teller preacher act and just do your freaking job. You were hired to be a comedian in this case. If you can't like cover up, you know, if you can't make it funny, then it doesn't belong in the thing. So this is like let's 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 actually put some like gates around the genre here, not this yeah, weird yeah, like yeah, hybrid yeah, thing that yeah. we've been and while we're for at, like over a decade. And while we're at it, we can use that as an excuse to actually ask journalists to actually do their job. You Please, know? yeah. Because because in a weird way, I feel like it's coincided with the decline of the basic tenets of journalism. You know, like uh, journalists have almost used that as an excuse to you know not even uh, fact check the things that they're supposed to do. Like you know, comedians are like the, the public intellectuals now. Well, well the thing thing about mm-hmm. you saying Chris yeah well like the I think but his problem would just be funny is uh, well if he does that he's got the the kind of the hammy jokes about you know being kind of a upper class Indian college educated most of my friends are doctors kind of jokes which work on a certain level but I think he probably thinks he's above that but he's got to do it because that's actually his biggest strength whether he likes to admit it or not well, then uh, that's or, he reached too high. I and, think uh, no, or or more, or mm-hmm. he can actually be funny, but then he would probably upset a lot of people that he's trying to kind of fit in with. You know, the kind of the the social justicey kind of progressive crowd, because there are some ripe ripe targets he could hit that nobody's really hitting, except maybe the really not funny Stephen Crowder types who couldn't like you know tell a joke even even if you know you paid them a billion dollars to do it. So what's he left with? He's got to be the like earnestly sincere you know almost weepy guy and i mean there's a i have a Substack, and i wrote a piece to drop a link in the in the show notes but okay. i mean i watched this thing and it's like he doesn't it's not it's not a lie that he actually did go to the saudi consulate it's a lie that he said it happened on the same day as khashoggi getting murdered and my thought is why did you even have to lie about that like if it was apparently about a month apart that's still really close if i went to a place and it was even tangentially linked to a murder a month later I would think that's a story I would and yeah. I think people would people who hear it would also think it's a story but I think in his mind he's so insecure that he is in the end just this kind of corny comedian that he has to re- just reimagine himself as this this protagonist uh, which these unbelievable um, dramatic things happen and it's the same I, thing with this mm-hmm. homecoming king story where what really happened apparently was this, this white girl was his friend he asked her out and 
then she was like, oh, let's just be friends. And that was it. And I think that in and of itself is a decent story. Like you want to tell a story about you're this Indian guy. You you felt, you know, very insecure about yourself and you had this friend and, you know, she, I'm assuming she's like yeah, beautiful. The friend zone is a potent punchline that, you know, an entire generation of people would immediately understand the reference to. Yeah. But it's more than self-aggrandizement, though, because in his version, they actually dated and she kissed him and said, I love you or something. So now. Oh, shit. I, I, see, I didn't even remember that. Yeah. Uh, he spun it. He, he just spun an entire. This is why, like, he, he told a story. If he yeah. wrote about it in a book, like if he were a fiction, a novelist and wrote this stuff, like he's he's good at kind of having a gut feel for like emotional impact. It's just it's not in truth telling. It's in telling right. a story. But this is also this is all things. why uh, memoirists, you know, lie, because if you make it into fiction, then you have to work extra hard to make sure you, you know what I was saying, you know, truth is that stranger your story is worth fiction. telling. Yeah. Well, also like unbelievable coincidences mm-hmm. in a novel come off as incredibly lame. But if you say this is true, people are like, oh, shit. You know, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Cool. Yeah. You know? But anyway, yeah, okay. Uh, Tia, I didn't even, I forgot even about that kiss part. He was saying that she's a G because she knew how to um, play it cool in front of the parents. But when they walked out the house, she snuck a kiss. Uh, oh, that, see, that's that, total fan fiction. He's just fan yeah. his life. No, no, then, no, 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 Everything, all the lies are in the service of self-aggrandizement. Because even, because right, right, right. you asked about the Kosoji thing, right? And the reason why I think he made it close, even though it's a month apart, I think it makes him sound like he's in greater danger than he was. For, well, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, that, that's precisely it. But I, I'm saying he was already in some form of danger just yeah, by he, being there. And and yeah. even just even just talking to them face to face. And I, I assume he's not lying about them kind of threatening him. Who knows? Maybe that's a lie, too. Yeah. But, and a month uh, apart is still dangerous. You know, it, it, it isn't like they changed uh, philosophy. It wasn't like 10 month. years later. It wasn't yeah, like it was a yeah. different monarch. You know, it was the same regime. Like, they're doing yeah, the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, but anyway, going back to Homecoming King. So, and then how do they and break up? It's not that she really rejects him. It's the parents are too racist. And now he yeah. turns it into a fucking Romeo and Juliet story. And she wanted, she wanted him. Yeah, she probably, yeah. you know, like, I, I think, uh, I mean, based on the New Yorker piece, she like, and, like her parents make her force to go with some, with some white dude or something. The yeah. implication being she didn't really want to be with him. She wanted to be, be with, with Hassan Minaj. Yeah. He, his parents, ooh, his, their love was too, too dangerous and too, too, uh, you know, exotic and exciting. That's why they broke up. And it's like, no, you, you, you got friend zoned, man. And that's fine. In fact, that's way more relatable and hu- and a more humane story. But no, he has to be the great romantic hero. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one. Go to, again, patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two. Be good.